and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of the Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Tapes from Beyond. Tapes from Beyond is a psychological horror story created by Andy Thierfelder. The show uses the podcast within a podcast and found footage frameworks to create a multi-layered narrative. The story centers around a woman named Jack, who, since she was nine years old, has been receiving disturbing cassette tapes in the mail from an unknown sender. The tapes are a kind of audio diary kept by someone she calls the Trapped Man, who claims to be stuck in an abandoned town and relentlessly hunted by a monster. Jack's best friend, Lena, in an attempt to unravel the mystery, hosts a podcast with her where they discuss the tapes and ask listeners for help. The first episode, Tape A, is also the first episode of the fictional podcast, where Jack and Lena explain the history of the tapes and play the first tape Jack ever received. I spoke to Andy remotely from his home in Detroit. Tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creator. My name's Andy Thierfelder. I mean, pretty much since I was a kid, I've wanted to make movies specifically, but that's really kind of evolved to just tell stories. Mm -hmm. My brother and I would go to my dad's house every other weekend and we would just watch like scary movies and uh, sci-fi movies and tell jokes. And it was like this kind of little bachelor pad paradise sort of thing. So uh, scary movies in particular and sci-fi have like a really big part of my heart. You know, so I, I've kind of flocked towards those stories. I grew up pretty poor, uh, obviously not as poor as a lot of people out there. but mm. And I think that's really kind of informed a lot of how my life has kind of progressed. Can I ask in what way? There was this really interesting uh, podcast, actually, a uh, Hidden Brain episode, where they mm -hmm. talk about how being in need of something really changes the entire way that you think about things and view life. It forces you to kind of live in the moment as like a survival instinct. Yeah. So a lot of my life was viewed as like, what's going to get me to where I need to go tomorrow instead of what's going to, you know, be better for me 10 years from now. You know, growing up wanting to make movies, you know, I, I kind of shunned going to uh, college or film school. Realistically think it was just because I wasn't a big fan of being in school, but, mm -hmm. you know, I would tell myself like, oh, well. You can't teach somebody art, you know. It's something you have to to feel, and I've I've uh, come around on that. And I've <laughs> since gone back to school and got a degree in cinematic arts. You know, we had to write a paper in one of my courses where they were talking about the importance of writing stories, and I, I said in that paper that the ability to communicate your story is just as, if not more important, than kind of the ideas of the story itself. If you think of it like online shopping, let's say you. You find this perfect item, you order it, and it's exactly what you want. But by the time it's shipped to you, it's damaged in the mail or it's got dropped or, you know, it doesn't match the expectations. And then it's a shell of what it could have been. Coming around to the idea of honing the craft beyond just being, oh, here's a great story. You have an interest in, in making films. Yep. How did that turn into audio drama? Uh, a lot of trial and error. Um, I made a feature-length film, actually. 
uh, with some friends that we tried submitting into some different film festivals. And it was a, a movie that I was really proud of. We wrote, directed, acted, everything. I've been, you know, I, I put like thousands of dollars of my own money into it. Hundreds of hours of, of filming and editing and writing and this this entire process, which is just kind of this incalculable sum when you add it all together. Yeah. And I would show it to, you know, my friends and family that would watch it. And then after, you know, the 90 minutes, they'd be like, oh, that was cool. And then that was like it, you know. I'm laughing because <laughs> yeah. as an artist myself, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of rinse and repeat that same process with a book. I wrote like a novel then trying to kind of do my own stuff on YouTube and all these different avenues. You know, I, I made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot of things along the way. Then the pandemic hit and I had to think of basically something I could make in isolation for the most part. And this is a story that I had been kicking around for years in my head and um, thought like, oh, okay, this is a this is a way I can tell this story. And then I found that the audio drama world and community is not only very alive, but it's thriving. And there's mm -hmm. a ton of people in it with some really amazing uh, talents and, and storytelling abilities, telling exactly the stories they want to tell and in exactly the ways they want to tell them. I found that very appealing. What's mm -hmm. the genesis of this story for you? <laughs> so funny enough, um, it actually started off as there's a video game series called Silent Hill, which is my all-time favorite series. Yeah. Not just in video games. I think Silent Hill 2 in particular is the it's my favorite horror story that's ever been told. I started to think about like what story would I tell in that world sort of thing. And it evolved a lot from there to kind of have a lot of elements from all of my favorite horror genres and mediums. The best kind of horror stories are the kind that kind of get under your skin. You know, like you see a, a gory. I mean, my favorite movie of all time is Evil Dead 2. So like I'm not against, you know, like <laughs> gory movies or whatever. But if you can get an idea that kind of plants itself in your brain that you can't get rid of mm. and it kind of grows. And then it almost like a putty kind of fills in the crevices of your own fears and anxieties that you kind of pour into that gels with it and, and, and becomes something scarier than just this initial notion that was presented to you. Those are the, the real scary stories that really stick with people with what I try to do with uh, taste from beyond was create something that you would think about that would get in your head that you would find ways to kind of breathe your own fears and anxieties in it that would create a more immersive, scary uh, environment for you. Yeah. Talk to me about what you did to try to accomplish that. One of the major elements that I used to try and do that is I, I call it audio drama, but also kind of a pseudo ARG or um, alternate reality game, mm -hmm. which um, if you were anyone's not familiar, it's essentially a, a story that's supposed to exist within the real world. And yeah. you can incorporate real world elements into it. It's kind of like the next step of evolution for the found footage genre, where it feels like it's something that's happening in the world that exists. You know, there's the two host characters of Jack and Lena, and they're presenting these tapes and this story to the audience. But then you also learn a lot more about, more specifically, Jack, but both of their lives and how it intertwines uh, with the story. The characters in the story are literally asking the audience to help kind of solve this mystery which pulled people in to give out their own thoughts and ideas that would then be discussed in later episodes by Jack and Lena. And the story was always set in the sense of the Trap Man stories wasn't going to change based off of how the audience interacted with it, but 
how much of his story uh, was going to be discovered was going to be dependent in a large way on the audience's interactions. So you would actually have uh, audience members who would write into the show and you would incorporate that into future episodes? Yep. Like I said, it kind of originally spawned from the idea of the trapped man who's, who's stuck in this town. I wanted his story to be out there, but I don't like when exposition feels like it's just kind of thrust in there. Yeah. I wanted a way for it to seem to come out naturally. If this were to really happen, if somebody was, you know, recording themselves and their experiences, you would A, need a reason that they would do it, but then B, a way that that story then reached the greater audience. That kind of forced me to have the character of Jack, who was the person who was receiving the tapes. But then I also realized that that character would, you know, it would create essentially a second story to kind of discover. Uh, you know, another big thing that's popular on YouTube and even on like uh, broadcast TV is shows where people will sit around and discuss what just happened in some other oh, show. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Reaction shows. Exactly. Yeah. And so I thought having that made sense to exist within this world. And then you would have an excuse for someone to fill you in with behind the curtain kind of details as well as, you know, a, another layer to the story to tell. Yeah. Which ultimately, you know, made me think like, oh, well, we can have the audience interaction elements of it as well, which will further create that, you know, kind of personal horror that I was trying to create with the show. One of the things I thought you did really effectively in the first episode was you gave the audience a lot of questions that you did not answer. These are the hooks. These are the forwards that get people to come back, right? Who is sending Jack these tapes? Yeah. Who, who would send these tapes to a nine-year-old girl? Then you're asking, who is the man on the tapes? And then where is the town? One of the things that kept me interested in making, made me want to come back and listen to more was the fact that you had all these questions sort of right up front that you left mostly unanswered, but you gave us just enough information to kind of start thinking about what could the possibilities be. And that I think is what you meant maybe by getting under the skin, right? Is to sort of making it stick with you in your head and make you think about it which, as you said, then makes it personal. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And we're going to play that tape for the audience here in a few moments. But I'd like to do a little housekeeping first. So you swear to me and to everyone listening that the story you're telling is true. These tapes were sent to you in the mail and you had nothing to do with their production, nor do you have any idea who made them or why they were sent to you. That is correct. And how are we supposed to believe you? I guess I really don't care if anyone believes me anymore. Uh, I'm only doing the podcast because we're friends and you asked me to. Oh, come on, Jack. I'm serious. I spent my entire childhood trying to convince people that these tapes were real. And no matter what evidence I produced, people still found some way to try and say it was all fake. So I stopped caring. I believe you. I was thinking of like, well, here's a frightening idea, or here's a frightening concept, or here's a frightening perspective. And then, you know, hoping people would, to a degree, internalize that and have the story kind of stick with them a little bit longer. There's a lot of found tape shows mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. Talk to me about your thinking in terms of what you wanted to do with this particular genre and how you wanted to approach the storytelling using the found footage device. It's kind of funny. I I didn't know exactly how much found footage <laughs> uh, 
horror audio dramas in particular are out there. I learned a lot about that just from reading comments on Reddit or YouTube or, or wherever. But I think even had I known, I, I probably would have done this exactly the same way. In order to create the interactive element of it uh, and create that kind of personal touch that I was aiming for, I think that, that that was the best storytelling device for it. That is arguably the the best part of making an audio drama in particular in that it's very accessible for anyone to try and make a story and that allows you to kind of tell the exact story that you want to. I think that the found footage genre, it works really well in audio drama because of the nature of what it is. So I don't yeah. think there's a problem with that. I think that particular genre has a lot of potential that can still be mined. And one of the things I think you do really well with this is that it's not just about some scary tapes, but it's rather the story about how these tapes affected other people. Jack and Lena, the, the hosts of the podcast, they have a relationship and they have their own story. I think that, you know, obviously any story worth telling has to have stakes involved. And I think that's mm -hmm. if, if there's uh, a flaw in the found footage, um, especially like audio drama sort of sphere, a lot of it is when you have, you know, one character, one storyline, it's harder to have those stakes because especially in a situation where there's like a character being hunted by a monster or something like that, you know, you have to get to a point where there's a confrontation and either they're going to survive it or not. And if they don't, the story ends. And if they do, you get diminishing returns on that confrontation going forward. Yeah. So when you have kind of like this tangential story that's related, you have this other set of characters that they have their own stakes for it as well. It adds a new layer of fear of concern because mm. now you have multiple sets of characters that in theory the story could go on if one of them disappears so the stakes are raised for that other set of character take me back to that day what were you thinking when you first got it what happened after you listened to it i was legitimately traumatized by it i mean i was nine years old the swear words alone were enough to make me feel sick i remember listening to it and then getting this overwhelming fear of being watched. I mean, this tape was addressed to me specifically, so whoever sent it knew where I lived, and they wanted me to hear it. I, I didn't know what to do. I thought my parents would be mad at me if I showed it to them. Why? A bunch of reasons. I wasn't even allowed to watch PG-13 movies, so they definitely wouldn't have wanted me to be listening to this. I was worried they would think somehow this tape being here was my fault. If a character has no stakes in a scene, the character is not going to be interesting. Characters without risk are uninteresting. Jack and Lena, for example, they, they fight. They don't, they don't fight a lot in the first episode, but there, there's tension there. Yeah. And that tension becomes a part of the story as well. You, you do the voice of the trapped man. Is that correct? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any history of, of acting? Not any sort of professional capacity. I honestly think that the bulk of my experience that's kind of benefited me is uh, through live action role playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's basically, you know, character work and improvisational theater. And uh, I've done that for 20 years or so. so. <laughs> Your wife does the voice of Lena. Correct. Cassie. Cassie. Yeah. And does she have any background in performance? Uh, a little bit, yeah. She did um, some theater work in high school. From a young age, she wanted to, but she wound up growing up and becoming a lawyer. Uh, 
it's not, it's kind of a <laughs> divergent path there, but well, you still need performance in the courtroom. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, I have a, a pretty big group of friends. The character who plays Jack is just an example of one of my friends who yeah. I hadn't worked with her personally before, but I've seen her stuff in other friends work and I just reached out to her to see if she was interested. So it was, it was very convenient having one of your lead actors and someone else to bounce story ideas off of and things like that. I'm, I'm thinking about your performance uh, as the trap man. That's a lot of really tough subject matter uh, yeah. that he deals with isolation and facing the unknown and being hunted constantly by a monster. And we learn in, in uh, later episodes that there's some sort of force that seems to be in the town itself that is mm-hmm. keeping him there, trapping him there. And like I said, it was a hazy day and I'm not in a great shape because of the fall, but I can make the thing out a lot clearer now. And it looks like this massive, there's, there's something, something wrong with it. It's sick. It, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I remember once I read this, this magazine article about this guy who had this condition, this poor man, they called the tree man. Cause he had all of these growths all over his body and they're so thick and so dark that, that it looked like he was made partially out of bark. Like he was made partially out of, out of this wood. And that's what this thing looked like. And I'm staring at this thing frozen in terror. And then it screams. But it wasn't this low animalistic roar like you might expect. It was high pitched. It sounded it sounded like a child being hurt, like a child being murdered. And I will never forget that scream what was it like to put yourself into those particular shoes uh, in that perspective you know it's it's funny for particularly for the first episode so i wrote the scripts for everything but i never actually wrote any of the dialogue for the trap man uh, i wanted it to feel very kind of natural and off the cuff or jack and lena make fun of them sometimes for kind of rambling yeah uh, but i <laughs> you know you got to try and avoid that uh to a degree so i would just go through the process of saying the lines over and over again and just kind of working them through uh, like a conversation. I work uh, for, a, I'm a video editor for a private investigation company. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of private investigation. So where I'm just basically sitting in a car outside of somebody's house waiting for them to do something. Yeah. So a lot of the recording was done during that process. The vast majority of the practice for it was done while I was doing that as well. So, so you're on stakeout. And you were talking into a microphone and running your lines. Yep. Yep. And just like talking through, you know, the story beats, you know, cause each episode or each tape, I, w- I would know the, the parts that I wanted to cover. And it was just a matter of making a realistic conversation, get from the beginning to, to each uh, story beat that I wanted to hit. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it, it was difficult. I feel almost pretentious. Like you hear actors talk about how difficult it is to get into certain mind states, but uh, you know, to, at least the way that I, that I act is I try and make myself emotionally feel, uh, you know, what the character's feeling to a degree. The third episode tape C in particular, there was some pretty heavy stuff that the character discusses. And I remember, you know, riding my bike and listening back to it and crying to myself when the character's crying in the performance. 
Hmm. I'm thinking about kind of how ridiculous that was. Uh, <laughs> I think I benefited from the fact that the story, like I said, the story has been building in my head for a long, long time. So it was kind of, I knew the character very well yeah. and it was easy for me to kind of go to the places I needed to go. I noticed that Tapes from Beyond is on YouTube as well. Yeah. Did you release them concurrently as a podcast and on YouTube or? Yep. Each, uh, each episode was released at the same time, both on uh, YouTube and on, you know, as on my RSS feed. It's funny because, you know, my experience was mostly in YouTube before this kind of my initial efforts were put onto YouTube and I found out kind of midway through the series that those numbers were pretty paltry, but the downloads for the audio was way higher than anything I've ever done before. Yeah. So I shifted the promotional aspect of it. Like the story didn't change or anything, but like when I would post new episodes, I would post the YouTube videos first. But as the story went on, I would post, you know, Spotify linker. And then someone said, I just needed to post the RSS feed. So I started doing yeah. that. How do you account for the difference in the numbers? What it ultimately came down to, I think, was ease of consumption, right? Mm. The video element didn't add a significant enough more to, I think, incentivize people to go to that. So they went to the easier platform of just listening on their headphones, you know, and yeah. their phone in their pocket or whatever. I think the uh, Jack and Lena's performances can be appreciated more in the video version because you can see their facial reactions to things. Yeah. So I kind of prefer that version of the story, but I understand that putting on a audio drama where you're driving to and from work or doing the dishes or whatever is a lot easier yeah. than sitting down and watching a half hour YouTube video. I, I wonder if the audio medium itself is, is really better suited for stories like this, mm -hmm. you know, um, and film is great. If you've got something specifically visual that you want the audience to see and resonate with. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I think there are audio dramas out there that try really hard to be film without sight. Yeah. You know, I, I applaud that. And I think you can do some amazing things with that, but I think maybe instead use the medium that you've got in ways that film, for example, cannot. I think that leaving a lot to the imagination has power. And I like that. How do you feel about that first episode and how do you feel about the process and what have you learned along the way? I, I'm still very proud of the first episode, but I think that there, I mean, I think there is a ton of room for improvement. I, I wish I would have gone in with a little bit more of a focus on, on purely the audio aspect of it, make sure, made sure that I have a little bit cleaner audio. Um, so actually, you know, it's funny in the first episode, we had a recording failure. And so we wound up playing back Jack's audio and then having Lena redo all of her scenes to the video instead of to the live person. I feel like it made it feel just a little bit more disconnected than I would have liked. Hmm. So I, part of me wishes I just go back and redo the whole first episode on its own. I have to ask you this question because I very, either you're brilliant or you just rolled with it. There, there's, <laughs> there's a, a part of the, in the first episode where I can hear an ambulance in the background and I'm wondering was that just an ambulance going by on the day of recording and you rolled with it because, hey, it's a podcast and they're and they're podcasting? <laughs> or was that something you actually added to make it sound like they were podcasting and just doing the best they can in their basements or whatever? Yeah, no, it was it was a legitimate ambulance <laughs> in the background. Uh, it's on Jack's audio. So if you listen to it carefully, like when it goes back to Lena's audio, there's, it cuts out entirely and then it goes <laughs> back to Jack's. I was very aware of it, but I decided to keep it in, um, you know, cause that's, I, I think one of the benefits, especially for amateur 
storytellers of found footage, either, you know, as an audio drama or film or whatever, is that the characters are supposed to be amateurs in it too. Right. You know, the idea was, well, these characters are amateurs. So if there's a little bit in there, it, someone could think that it's a, you know, a genius effect that was added in versus <laughs> a, you know, guerrilla filmmaking that you had to get around. Well, it worked, whatever it did. I noticed it, but I didn't think too much about it. Lots of tape noise uh, you used too, yep. obviously, to damage tapes. So I'm guessing you've got experience with sound editing to to work all that in. Yeah, through through video work, and actually mostly as a, <laughs> as um, a way of covering up my own mistakes that I made. Um, <laughs> like I said, I was uh, most of my uh, filmmaking is informed by not necessarily getting the right shot. It's just getting any shot that we can before all my friends decided they wanted to leave or before we got kicked out of the park that we're filming in or whatever. So it's like, I, I call it a guerrilla filmmaking. I've had to come up with some creative edits and workarounds, you know, to get any sort of product out in the past. And I used a lot of that while I was creating the tapes both because, like I said, sometimes I'm filming it in a car and another car will drive by and, you know, this guy's supposed to be in this abandoned ghost town. And, <laughs> right, right. you know, you can, you can have an ambulance going by in the back of Jack's audio, but you cannot have an ambulance going by in the back of the Trap Man's audio. What do you struggle with, either personally or artistically? I think that sometimes when I'm filming things, like I said, it's it, it falls back to that guerrilla filmmaking mindset of, okay, we need to get this done. Uh, I wish that I was better at being a little more assertive and making sure that the the shots aren't just on film or you know aren't just recorded on tape that they're the shots that I want. I think one of the things I'm most proud about with this is I really you know I growing up I I thought I wanted to be a director and I think really my strongest suit is writing but I really kind of put my director hat on for this to be like hey we need to do this line again or we need to do this part again is my wife so if I go like no you need to do this again or that wasn't good enough you know <laughs> that uh, you can't just see them on set the next day, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. How do you measure success? You know, I don't think success is any one goal that you need to hit. I think I think that anybody who listens to this and puts out their own audio drama or even thinks about it or puts out their own poem or story or whatever, that in itself is a huge success. And honestly, arguably the biggest success and everything else that comes after that is great and wonderful. But just doing it is the most important part. Growing up, wanting to make movies, whenever I would talk to people about it, oftentimes I'd go, oh, well, I have this great story idea, and it's blah, 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 blah. And they'll sit there and talk to you forever about it. And it got to a point where it's like, I'm not impressed by a good story. I'm impressed by, I'm more impressed by a mediocre end product mm. than I am by the best story that's never going to be written. Yeah. You know. And so the, the first and most important part is, is doing it. What are some lessons that you have learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? Uh, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times now, but I, I, I still think that the most important part is to tell the exact story that, that you want to tell. Mm. It's a little bar of entry. You don't have to pay a ticket to listen to an audio drama. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right there on your phone. There's a niche out there that someone's going to like your story. Mm. And yeah. if if you try and create something that's, trying to hit a specific trend or avoid a specific thing or whatever, it's not going to be the best story that you can tell. You know, as an artist, you want to be the, you want to tell the best story that you can tell. You want to deliver that package in the, in the most pristine condition that you can. Otherwise people aren't going to resonate with it. It's not going to have this deep connection that it could. 
I really want to connect with other people too. Um, you know, I had a crew that I did film stuff with, but most of them haven't translated over into the audio drama field. And I'd love to work with other people, other creators, and, you know, either act in their stuff or get them to act in mine or write. You know, I would love to see someone, you know, direct or produce something that I wrote because, like I said, I think my, my strongest suit is as a writer. Anything I've written that's been made has been self-produced. So I'd love to see what someone else's interpretation is, you know, yeah. so I, I'd love to work with other people on stuff as well. I found keys to the vending machines. I found that letter. I found this tape recorder that I'm talking to you on now. But most importantly, I found that this room had a locking door and a couch. So I took the keys and made my way back out into the main area, and I got myself a dinner that the eight-year-old me would have killed for. I took my chips and candy and pop. I went back into the office, locked the door, ate my dinner, and passed out on the couch. And that's how I spent my first night here. In Sherman. While Tapes from Beyond relies on familiar audio drama tropes, it combines them in a way that breathes new life into them and adds depth to the narrative. The thematic struggles in the story, isolation, guilt, fear, and mental illness, are not just the trapped man's, but Jack's as well. You can listen to Tapes from Beyond on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.